God, I thank you for being a way maker. God, when there seems to be no way out, when there seems like there is no option, that God, we are just stuck, that we are, God, we're in deep trouble and there's no possibility of rescue, God, that's exactly where you are. You're making a way when we, in our feeble minds, can't find a way. Lord, you make this evident by the cross and what you did through your son, Jesus. The fact that there was no way. There was no amount of righteousness that we could try to obtain on our own. There's no amount of good things that we could do. God, we were to be separated from you forever. God, but thankfully, you made a way. You made a way through your son. God, you beat him and you hung him on a cross and you killed him so that we might live. Lord, we deserve that punishment. God, we deserve to be separated from you. God, we can't do anything but sin. God, but your great love, your amazing love that we cannot comprehend, your grace that surpasses our understanding, God, you made a way. You made a way. You put on him, God, all the filth and all the ugliness that had to die. You put it on your son. God, thank you for the fact that he is resurrected. God, and he intercedes on our behalf. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, for the fact that you are a way maker and you did that through your son. Lord, today be with us, God, as we look at your word and we look at the truth of who you are. God, and we look at your good news. Lord, I pray, God, that we would embrace your good news today. God, there are a lot of hurting people in this room. There are a lot of hurting people that are watching us online right now. And Lord, I pray that they would see, God, your amazing grace today, that they would see your good news and they would embrace good news. God, and they would feel good about your good news. Lord, thank you, God, for giving us this precious word. I pray that we never, ever take this for granted. God, may this time be about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about the good news, which is the, the perfect plan of God to rescue us from ourselves. The perfect plan of God to put on his son what we deserve and we've been talking about how this is good news. And we, we actually came up with the sermon title, the series title, Which Do You Want First, The Good News or The Good News? And uh, I told you last week that I'm the kind of person that uh, I don't really care which one you give to me first because I'm the kind of person that's probably going to hang on to the bad news anyway uh, just because that's how I'm wired, you know? Like I'm probably going to focus on the bad news to the good news and that happens to be kind of the, the way that I'm wired. But today, uh, you know, we, I, I think God put this sermon series, the title of the sermon series on my heart because uh, he knew that I needed to hear that, right? Which you want first, the good news or the good news? And, and you know, I, I, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how he said, you know, one of the things that I, I've been trying to encourage uh, the people in my congregation to do is to just uh, be a, a light where they are, whether that's at their job, at their school, uh, in their friend group, at the coffee shop, wherever, to just kind of be uh, an ambassador of that good news wherever they are, right? And I've been thinking about that a lot ever since he said that. Um, he, he's a good friend of mine, and, and I, I just, you know, that whatever, for whatever reason, that particular statement really stuck with me. And I was like, you know, that's, that's a good point, that we need to just kind of be an ambassador of this good news wherever we go. 
We don't necessarily have to go into a particular place to share the good news, which that's a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong. It's good to go to Haiti or it's good to go to some, some place where they don't have a lot of food or, or whatever the case might be. It's good to go and do that, but it's also very important for us to, to do what we have every day in our lives to, to do the gospel in that, you know, to not just be so intentional about going out and, go and, and sharing this good news, but also to stay in and share the good news, you know, which is wherever you are to share this good news. And so I started thinking about that and I was like, man, am I doing that? You know, am I doing that? And so I started praying about, it. all right, God, well, where do I start? You know, because I, I need to know where I need to start. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 28, 11, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you, and I will be with you to the end of the age. He says that, right? Okay, so I got to go make disciples, right? So I started thinking about Jesus' disciples. And like, these were the first ambassadors of the good news, right? So that'd be a good place for me to start. If I start thinking about this good news and, and how I'm supposed to share this good news and I need a starting point and I need to be intentional about it in my everyday life and where do I need to start? So I was praying and thinking and, and, and God was just impressed upon my heart. You know, Jesus, you, you think about what's some of the most important things people say and probably what the most important things they're gonna say are the things right before they die, right? So if they got, they're like looking back on their life and they're, they're thinking about what's the most important things and you know, what are the things that you need to remember? And so I got to think about Jesus. He was telling his disciples who would be the first ambassadors of the good news. He was telling them what they needed to do in order to, to go and share this good news, right? And what does he tell them? What, what does Jesus tell them right at the end of his life? And he's, I mean, he's about to go to the cross and so... He says, he says to them, and sorry, I was looking to see where, if I knew where it was. Yeah, here it is. In John chapter 13, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little while longer. As I told you, the Jewish leaders will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. So the thing that Jesus says is that you were supposed to love each other. And I got to thinking about it, right? And I got to studying about it and I got to processing the information that Jesus says right before he goes to the cross. He says the thing that you got to remember and the thing that, that really, if you're going to be my disciples, you got to love one another. And I got to thinking about that. And I got to thinking about brothers and sisters in Christ and us loving one another. And are we really doing that? I'm not just talking about within the confines of this church. I'm talking about other Christian believers, other people that are, you know, sold out on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, how do we treat them? How, how are we loving them? Are we actually doing what Jesus says is really the first step towards being his disciple is to love one another. And are we doing that? Are we really doing that? And, and so I... I, I, I wanted to research this a little bit, admittedly. So, so like, I, I started to, to look at the early church. I started to look at the, you know, what Paul says to, to an early church, and I started to look in Corinthians. And we'll actually be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. And, you know, uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about the liberty that they have in Christ, right? Like, 
Like, you've got a lot of freedoms in Christ now. You know, you've been set free. All this, all this, you know, abiding by the book, all this legalism that you used to have to do, you don't have to do that anymore. You just have to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I are like, oh, I kind of would have liked a rule book a lot better, you know? A rule book would have been a lot easier. Then I could just say, check, check, check. Now he's telling me, oh, you got to listen to the heart that God has put inside me. Oh, come on. I really would have liked a list a lot better, you know? But, but Paul's saying, hey, look, you have freedom in Christ Jesus now. Now you've got the Holy Spirit that's going to guide you and lead you and teach you and instruct you and comfort you and all these things. He says, now that's, that's what you have to follow. It's what, this, this heart that I've given you. You have to follow that now. So when it comes to loving my brothers and sisters in Christ... I have to follow the Holy Spirit, okay? So here Paul is dealing with some liberties that they have in Christ Jesus, but at the same time, he talks in this particular passage about how we're supposed to deal with an unbeliever and a believer in a, in a particular situation. This happens to be about meat around idols. See, what would happen in, 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 in Corinth and in, in, you know, the idol worship that they had is they would go and they would... They would have meat, and they would take these, these meat sacrifices to their false gods, right? And they would sacrifice those, and the, the, the false god priests would sometimes, they would eat a little bit, and they would take the rest of it to the marketplace and sell. Because obviously God wasn't going to consume them. Their false gods was not going to consume their, their sacrifices, so they had to go and sell it. And so people would end up consuming these meats that were out there originally to be sacrificed to a false god, okay? And, and the Corinthians, man, they had some awful stuff that they did. Um, some real sexual debauchery kind of stuff going on, like orgies and stuff like that. And they really got really crazy, lots of drunkenness, lots of, I mean, it was just bad news, you know. And, and Paul's trying to say, look, you, you, you're done with that. You know, don't, don't deal with that anymore. And if you look at the first half of chapter 10, he's actually talking about this. He's like, look, you don't want to have anything to do with that old way of life. You want to kind of separate yourself from it. But then he starts talking about something else here at the end of chapter 10 that I really want to like, expound upon today. And that is, he, he's going to talk about if you're invited over to somebody's house and got some of this stuff to eat, what are you supposed to do, right? Now, immediately, somebody would probably think that we should do whatever it is that we can do to win somebody to Christ, we should do whatever we can do, poss possibly do, in order to be able to bring a non-believer into the family of God, right? We should do whatever it takes. Well, that's not exactly what we find here. That's not exactly what we find here. So I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Forgive me, I have serious dry mouth today. It's probably from wearing the mask, I don't know. He says in, in chapter 10, verse 23, says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything you, you do, everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others, okay? So, so he's saying, do away with selfishness, right? <laughs> like you're wondering what I should do, look out for yourself last. Oh, that's not good, Paul. I kind of wanted to look out for me first. I thought I was supposed to be looking out for number one. Now you're telling me that I'm looking, supposed to be looking out for number one million. You know, everybody else is at the top of the list. I'm at the bottom of the list. And he says, yeah, that's what comes with the territory when you're a Christian. Sorry, just letting you know. He says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of your conscience. 
For, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So this is what he says. He says, all right, so look, let's say you go, okay, you're a Corinthian. You just came to Jesus. He's talking to the brothers in Christ here. And he's like, look, you go to the marketplace and you find some of this meat that was actually, um, it was actually designated for some of these false gods. I know that you want to kind of do away with all that kind of idolatry and all that kind of stuff. That, and he's like, don't worry about it, dude. I read that and I was like, Man, that is such a relief. You know what I mean? Like, I would have been, I'd have been like looking down at my list, like, I can't eat this, I can't eat that, I can't eat this, and I can't eat that. And man, I, and, and here Paul's saying, Look, dude, don't worry about it. Don't, don't put that on your conscience. Just let it go. Don't be asking questions about it, matter of fact. And we'll, we'll see that in a little bit. And he's like, Don't put that on yourself that you got to worry about that kind of stuff. Man, you got, you got freedom in Christ Jesus. Don't be, don't be worried about where this meat came from. Because you may trace it back and it, it turns out that it was somebody's and that, that bull was designated to go to a god or something like that. He's like, quit worrying about it. You know what I tend to do when it comes to being a believer in Christ Jesus? I tend to worry a lot. I don't know about you, but I tend to worry a lot, man. I tend to worry about what I do and what I don't do. The things I do wrong and the things I do good. I look at the things I do good and I even see, try to, sometimes I even try to see the bad that I do and the good. And I'm like, and Paul, I, I really believe that, that God really does not want our, our relationship with him to be stressful. Have you ever felt like your relationship with Jesus was stressful? You ever felt like, man, I, I, and, and who's putting that stress on you? Is it Jesus or is it you? More than likely, if you'll take a good look at whatever the, the thing is going on that's causing you to be stressed out, it's probably because of your own selfishness. It's probably something that you put on yourself and and it's probably something that, that you're doing to yourself. It's not something that God's put on you. It's something you put on you. And here, Paul says, hey, dude, don't worry about it. Chill. <laughs> and in the Greek, it says chill. I don't know if you know that or not, but it, it, just chill out, man. Quit worrying about all this stuff. And here, we're going to see, okay, what happens if an unbeliever ask you to come over to his house and get something to eat. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. You know what Paul's saying? Don't worry about it, dude. You got an unbeliever, somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and you want to go hang out with them, go eat with them. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you something here. It's good for you to hang out with unbelievers, right? It's good for you to go and eat a meal with an unbeliever, but I want you to understand this. It's one thing to be hanging out and being around an unbeliever, and it's another thing to be yoked with an unbeliever. And that is where, you're, where you're, your lives are so inter, intertwined and overlap that they're more likely to pull you down than you are to pull them up. You know what I'm saying? Like you're around them, that's the person you're around the most, and they're an unbeliever. And you've got to be aware that it is more likely they're going to pull you down than you pull them up. Okay? There, there, there's a big difference here. This is an unbeliever that asks somebody that's a believer over to dinner. Fine, hang out with them. Go, go eat dinner with them. That's fine. But it's another thing for that to be your best friend. You understand what I'm saying? It's another thing for that to be somebody that you're around all the time. And the fact that they can have an influence over you and not in a positive way. He says, eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. So here, I, I imagine if you go over to another Corinthian's house... And they're in, indulged in idol worship and all this kind of garbage. And you're like, I don't want any part of that, dude. And, you know, he's like, they put some food down in front of you, eat it. 
eat it. Because in this culture and in this time, and even, even today, this happens a lot. You know, they, if somebody offers you something, imagine you going over somebody's house and they say, hey, I got some pot roast. And you're like, mm, I don't eat pot roast, you know. And you're like, no, thanks. I'm going to just sit here and chill with you. You go ahead and eat. I'm going to just chill, you know. I, first of all, nobody is going to eat while somebody else is staring at them, okay? That's, that's just not going to happen, all right? Matter of fact, uh, new couples, when they start hanging around each other, go to the first date, second date, that sort of thing, aren't they always afraid to eat in front of each other? Like, that's the worst thing. Like, I don't want to eat in front. I, I'm good. I just, mm, I'm not, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to sit here. I'll have, I'll have a Diet Coke. Thanks, right? Like, eating in front of somebody is awkward. I, I, I can remember several times people being around me like, oh, I'm finally comfortable eating around you. I'm like, what? You know? Dude, throw down, because I promise you I am. Now, it ain't going to bother me if you, if you sit there and you don't eat something, and I'm hungry. Not hungry. Hungry. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat, or else I'm going to get hangry because I'm hungry. You know what I'm saying? And we don't, no, don't nobody want me hangry, okay? But you know that in our culture, and, and even in this culture, if somebody puts down some food, and you're like, nah, I don't want any of that, it, it doesn't go over well, right? It's kind of an insult to them. Paul's saying, don't worry about it, dude. Just eat it, you know? Don't matter where it comes from. Don't put that on yourself. Don't be like, hey, can you show me the label where this pot roast came from? I need to know, you know? Uh, as a matter of fact, when, I, when I'm in, uh, I, I, try, I used to, back before coronavirus, I used to travel some to Europe, and one of the things that was very uh, common is that they would put, like, like, you would go to a meeting. It was very interesting. You'd go to a meeting or to visit a place, and, and a lot of times they would have, they don't believe in plastic cups. They always had glass, and you had, they'd have glasses sitting out, and, and they're always well sanitized and very clean. That was the main thing. You got a very clean glass and never any lipstick marks on the glasses. It's just, you know, very clean glasses. And then they would have bottles of sparkling water and bottles of still water, which is, then had bubbles, okay? And, and they would put that out there and they would, <laughs> it's pretty funny because they would offer you water. Would you like something to drink? A lot of times they had apple juice or uh, half apple juice, half water was another thing they drink a lot of. And, and, and orange juice is another thing. So they would bring out, and it usually is never cold. There's never any ice. You know, here in America, we're used to ice, but there's never any ice, and, and the orange juice is like lukewarm, and I'm like, this wants me to spit it out of my mouth. But anyway, so, but they will offer you something to drink. They're like, and that while, they're, while they're offering it to you, they're like pouring your glass. Would you like something to drink? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'll have a glass, you know? You know, and... and, and it, it's very much a part of their culture and it's very much a part of how they deal with, with visitors and guests and stuff is to present them with something, to give them something to drink or to eat. And a lot of times they would have cookies or whatever, and, 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 but it was insulting to them if you didn't drink. If you said, no, I'm okay. I started to watch and saw the expression on their face when I said, no, I don't need anything to drink. I'm not thirsty right now. Oh, okay. You know, you can just kind of get that vibe from them. Well, eventually, I was, and, and they want you to drink it all, too, man. I, I'm drinking sparkling water. I don't even like sparkling water, and I'm just downing this stuff, you know, taking it like a pill and, you know, kind of trying to get it down. But here, I'm sorry, I, I digress. I got off into to Vienna. I was in Vienna just for a minute there. So anyway, so, so here, somebody's coming over to an unbeliever's house, worried about where this meat came from. Paul says, don't worry about it. Just eat it, you know. But then... Then we see something else go on here. But suppose someone tells you this meat is offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. So let's say that you're with another believer, right? 
And this is what Paul's talking about here. He says, he's supposed that, that you're with another believer. Maybe this is a young believer, somebody that, that's, that's brand new in their faith in Christ. And you're sitting down at this table. And what did Paul tell us originally? He said, don't be concerned for yourself, but be concerned for other people. So now we got a dilemma, right? So are we supposed to be concerned about the unbeliever or the new believer that's with us that says, hey, man, I don't know if we can eat that, dude. It came from an idol. This was sold in the marketplace. It, it came from an idol. It's supposed to be. And he's like, I can just imagine him whispering in your ear, you know, like, hey, we can't be eating this, dude. And what does Paul say? He says, don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. This is what he says. He says, if you got an unbeliever that's watching what you do, right? And then you've got a believer who is with you and says, man, we can't eat this because it bothers me for us to eat this. He says, don't eat it. Now, immediately in our mind, we think we don't want to be unhospitable to the host, right? We don't want to be uh, showing the host that we're, we're, we're not friendly. We want to do everything that we can to try to win that unbeliever. But, but Paul says, and this is the inspired word of God, this means it came from God, put on the heart of Paul to write down so that we could hear it 2,000 years later. What Paul says is you be courteous to the, un, uh, to the believer, the new believer that is with you, that, is put, that God has put this on their heart and is bothering their conscience. He says, if you've got the choice, you have to worry about your brother in Christ Jesus. That's not what we would immediately have thought, is it? That's, that was not our gut reaction when we thought about the situation. Our, our initial reaction said, man, we've got to do everything we can to bring that person to Christ Jesus. We can't be unhospitable to them. Why is this? Why is this? It's so that maybe the host, maybe the host, knowing that it is uncomfortable for you to sit there and resist the food that is offered to you, will see your love for the brother. That in spite of everything else that's going on around you, you won't succumb to outside pressure. What you will succumb to is the love that you have for your brother in Christ Jesus. That you don't want your brother to stumble. That, that, that he is the most important thing in this group of three that are here. Do you see that? Do you see what draws people into the family of God? It, it's not just by being nice to them. It is by how you love one another. And this is a perfect example of this. This is a perfect example of how, you know what? You don't care about anything else that's going around. You don't care about how awkward it may look. You don't care about any of that. You care mostly about your love for your brother in Christ Jesus, especially if they're a new believer because they're trying to figure things out and they're trying to understand what it means. And, and I believe that the God is saying here, the first thing you got to teach them is how to love one another. It's tough, isn't it? Sometimes it's real, real tough. Man, we got different personalities. We got, we got struggles. We, we think differently. We act differently. Man, we got all kind of stuff going on, but I think if we look at the good news, and that is the central focus of what we're really, really trying to accomplish, being ambassadors of that good news, what joins us together, this good news, is, is far, far stronger than what separates us, which is our own selfish motivations, our own personalities, our own character traits, all that kind of stuff. The thing that is most important is what connects us. And what connects us 
is the good news. You know what divides us? Bad news. Bad news divides us. Good news connects us. So when you're trying to think about what am I supposed to do, when you're really struggling with, man, I want to be, I want to be somebody that's an ambassador of this good news. I want to be, I want to be the, the, the salt of the earth. I want, to be, I want to be light in the earth. And I want, I want people to see. And I want it to radiate from my life the fact that I am an ambassador of this good news. You know where you start with that? By loving your brother. Uh, above all else, you, you love your brother in Christ Jesus. And, and you say, that's the most important thing. You think about, you know, when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you and I'll be with you to the end of the age. When you think about that, when you think about that truth, you know what has to be at the center of that truth? It has to be love. It has to be love. And, and the world is looking at us right now. They're looking at Christians right now. I'm talking about people that are really Christians. Unfortunately for us, there are some people that, 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 that they would rather hate than love, and that's just the way they're wired. And, and, and the world's looking at them too because they call themselves Christians. Man, we have to wage war on that. We have to wage war on that idolatry that becomes selfishness, and, and that selfishness, it, it does not portray a message of love. And, and we have to start with the loving our brothers in Christ. We have to start with the unity that exists between us. And then the world will look at that and it's like, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a family like that. Have you ever looked at a family and saw how much they hated each other? They, I mean, they don't even want to be around each other. Have you ever seen a family like that? Do you look at that family and go, man, I wish I was adopted. I was their, I was their adopted kid. I wish I was a part of that. Or do you say, man, thank God I'm not a part of that family. You know that, that people are looking at the family of God that way? They're, they're looking at us and say, man, do I want to be a part of that family? Is that a family that I want to be next to? Is that, is that a brother that I want to be a brother to? Or is it pushing them away? Is it pushing them away? I believe that's the reason God says this is the first place to start. It's because, man, the world's got to look at us and say, I want to be a part of that family. You know, I was listening to Francis Chan and he was talking about this and he was talking about the elders in his church and how, man, they were really focused and God was moving and, and things, lives were being changed and transformed and all these kind of great things were going on and, and, and the, the college class was actually bringing homeless people in to feed them and, and bring them into the service and, and all this kind of stuff, great things were happening and, and it all started with the elders in the church and their commitment and this is what he said about the commitment of the elders in his church. He said, many of the elders in his church were canceling their life insurance policies because he had other elders in his church that said, you don't worry about your family. If you die, I'll take care of them. And they were canceling their life insurance policies because of that. That's how much faith they had and how much they really believed in the power of, of their friendship and their brotherhood in Christ Jesus. So you know what? You don't even need a life insurance policy. You go cancel your life insurance policy because if something happens to you, I'm going to take care of your family. Now that is really believing. That's putting your money where your mouth is, is it not? So no matter what, I'm going to take care of your family. Do you know that that's how we're supposed to be?
You know that that's how we're supposed to be? That we shouldn't even have to worry, man, if I die, who's going to take care of my family? It's supposed to be like that in here. The rest of the people in here say, you don't worry about it. I'll take care of your family. You don't even need a life insurance policy. Is that the way that we are? Is that the way that we behave? Are we so connected as a family that, that nothing else matters? What matters is our brotherhood in Christ Jesus. Are we so connected as a family that we say, man, people are going to look at us and they're going to look at the way that we behave around each other and they're going to say, man, I want to be a part of that family. That family is filled with love. That family is filled with something that is supernatural, not just an ordinary kind of love. It's a supernatural kind of love. Then no matter, even if, if one brother sins against another, they go to them and they talk about it and they work it out. And, and, and that's, why, that's why it says that that's the way that we're supposed to do it. That the first step is to go and, and talk it out one-on-one. And then... If that doesn't work, then, then you go and bring in a couple other brothers in Christ Jesus and you go and you go together and you try to work it out. Man, this is all a part of God's plan because it is so important how we love one another, how we treat one another, how we act like family towards one another. It is so critically important. We can't be sitting back and be casual about our love for one another. We have to be intentional about it, and we have to be just as intentional about our love for one another as we do our love for the rest of the world. We have to be intentional about it. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Thank you so much, God, for the fact that you have put inside of us a supernatural kind of love, God, a supernatural kind of love that should radiate from our lives. This gospel that we talk about, this good news that we have, God, I pray that we would recognize just how powerful it is God, and we would look at that good news and we would see how it unites us. We would see that that is the central focus of our lives and that the good news is the central focus of our lives. God, it will radiate through every part of our life. Father, I know that what you call us to do is not easy. I know that sometimes it's a struggle. It's an internal struggle that happens within our heart. God, I know that. God, but if it is really good news, it will look like good news. Lord, I pray that we would be real ambassadors of your love, your grace, your mercy. God, I pray that we would show the whole world what it means to really love, and we would start by loving our brothers. Father, thank you so much, God, for how you loved us. God, I pray that we would love each other the same way you loved us, sacrificially, God, and full of love. Thank you so much, God, for your word. Be glorified now as we respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will everyone stand?